Well, Pastor Leith Anderson of Minneapolis had an embarrassing problem. His lawn was a disgrace. It was a sore subject in the neighborhood. He tried spraying the weeds himself individually with Roundup. It was a daunting task, doomed to failure because of the established health and persistence of those weeds. Eventually, a guy from Kemwong took a look at the situation and just shook his head. He quoted the enormous sum that would be needed to successfully remove this massive infestation that was a blight on the landscape. Another lawn care consultant said the only thing to be done was just to get a backhoe and scrape the whole thing off and start again with sod. Pastor Anderson, a frugal man by nature, thought there must be another answer. And a few weeks later, he had a conversation with a farmer. The man looked at Pastor Anderson through squinty eyes that had done much labor in the hot sun. And he said, if you want to grow grass, grow grass. Don't worry so much about the weeds. Sow the grass. Water the grass. Feed the grass. And eventually, your grass is going to take care of the weeds. I heard Pastor Leith describe the situation himself at my baccalaureate from seminary. The point of the story wasn't actually about lawn care, although he said it, it worked. What the farmer said worked. The point of the story was about the way Jesus goes about building the kingdom of God, not by eradication of the unrighteous, but by sowing righteousness, by encouraging those who have ears to hear, by healing them, by offering grace upon costly grace. Pastor Leith gave a warning to us future pastors that it would be tempting to dwell on what people are doing wrong, to chastise hypocrisy and the dangers of nominal faith, lives that don't measure up to the standard of Christian living. And then he said, but what people need to hear nine times out of ten is grace. And isn't that true? How many of us were drawn to Jesus by anything other than grace? They need to hear about grace, the grace of God who loves them before they even gave them a passing glance, the God who accepts them and forgives them now. They need to hear that he has come for them because he actually cares about them. And they need to experience that in their life. They need to feel it. They don't just need to be converted to a concept. We need to experience Grace. 
Today, we read about Jesus and his disciples walking toward Jerusalem. In the Gospel of Luke, it takes a long time for them to get there. He sets his face in chapter 9, and he gets there by, I think, chapter 19. But in Luke, going towards Jerusalem isn't so much a geographical thing as a missional statement, a purpose statement. In this phrase, Luke is alluding to Jesus' saving mission, his exodus is what he calls it, in which he will willingly cross over death on the cross and then rise up in bodily resurrection and ascend to heaven. This exodus recapitulates what happened to the Israelites, you know, when they were escaping Pharaoh and they go through the Red Sea and they come out the other side. But this time, Jesus doesn't cross over the Red Sea. He crosses over death, back to life. And because he has done that, he says, we will be able to follow him. Because I live, he says, you also will live. In our passage, when he has set his face towards his mission, he and his disciples walk through Samaria, which is the area to the north of Jerusalem, uh, which is hostile to Jerus Jews from Jerusalem for a variety of historic reasons. And the text says that he had sent some messengers before him to try and arrange a place where they could spend the night. But apparently, the villagers refused to have him. And at this point, the disciples, James and John, say, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? They were thinking along the lines of a story about Elijah, a great saint, who had called down fire on two legions of soldiers who were sent to him by an idolatrous king. They must have thought, hey, it worked for Elijah. It could work now. These enemies of God deserve to die. But Jesus rebukes James and John. And it's not that Jesus is naive about the hostility and the dangers that, that these people pose to his mission. A few verses later, when he sends out 72 to go and plant the kingdom of heaven, he says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. He knows that he and his disciples have enemies, enemies to the kingdom, enemies to God. But the point is, the strategy he uses in building his kingdom is not to take out the enemies. It is to make disciples. He doesn't say to his appointed 12, okay, you guys need to be bigger, badder, and sneakier than those wolves out there, and we're just going to take out the opposition. No, he sends them out as lambs to build the kingdom amongst the wolves. For Jesus, there was something even more pressing in his strategy than being right. He was right. But even more pressing in accomplishing this building the kingdom was grace. That was how he's going to build it. If you want to grow grass, grow grass. 
Plant it, water it, fertilize it, and eventually your grass will take care of the weeds. Jesus teaches. He heals a lot. He heals a lot. People who don't believe in God, he heals them. It's extraordinary. What a waste of time. He prays. He eats with all sorts of people. This is his strategy and the strategy of his followers. And the fact is, this is hard and demanding work. It makes the fireball from Elijah seem so much more quick and easy. But of course, there are problems with that Elijah method. It isn't nuanced. Richard and I started a little family Bible study back when our kids were around 10 and 12, and we invited a couple other families, and uh, one, of them, one of the kids was about six, and when he sort of encountered the reality that there were sinful humans, he said, well, I think God should just kill all the bad people. And, you know, we were sort of sitting around figuring out, you know, how we could explain to this child that the line between good and evil goes through every human heart. He didn't totally get it, and honestly, we probably don't even get it today. Jesus tells a parable about not being hasty to weed a crop, because in pulling up the weeds, we might also pull up the wheat. Deciding who is fit for the kingdom and who is not is dangerous for us. It's God's job. The Jesus way seems annoyingly extravagant. It seems like he wastes time on people that are unlikely candidates for sanctification. It might come across as a little Pollyanna, you know? But that's his plan. Right from the beginning, when he read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he skips over the whole part, which goes on about God demolishing the enemies of Israel. And when that audience heard it, they didn't like it. They wanted God to get to destroying the enemies part, right, smart, quick. But Jesus was about showing grace. It's not that he never warned people about the danger of ignoring God. He did. But his priority over and over again was on showing grace. And that meant treating people who didn't deserve kindness with lavish care. Think about that time later in the gospel in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, those thuggish guards have been sent from the temple to arrest Jesus who is not armed. And there's all that kerfluffle there. And then in the midst of that, Peter, who had ignored Jesus' instructions, by the way, and had a sword, Peter cut off the ear of one of those guards. And in all of that confusion, and Jesus is about to be arrested, and all, blah, blah, what does Jesus do? He finds the ear and heals that man. Extraordinary. Even in this desperate moment, Jesus grows grass. He waters grass. He is making a disciple. It must have seemed like a ridiculous waste of energy to Peter and the gang, but, you know, the reason we know the name of Malchus is because he never forgot that night. That's when he decided, I want to know who this man is. 
And he probably told a bunch of other people too. He wanted to know the man who treated him with kindness, even when he was an enemy. This gospel passage is all about the priority of building the kingdom, always, everywhere, building it with grace. It takes precedence over every other obligation. That is what we understand when those three would-be followers of Jesus ask if they can just pop back home to take care of some family business. And it's not that Jesus doesn't care about our families. It is that the kingdom work is the priority. And that is countercultural even today. But to be kingdom growers or grass growers, we receive grace ourselves. We hear that message of the angels to the shepherds long ago. Do not be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, God's favor, God's rescuing favor for us. Remember, as Pastor Leaf told me, we are grass growers not weed exterminators. We have good news of grace to receive and share. Amen.